Hello, everyone, and welcome to the March 25th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm David Jimenez with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal ruled that neighborly help with roof repairs does not create an employment relationship. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of Dolores Rivera Sanchez versus Alejandro Perez. Decedent Juan Sanchez had several years of construction experience, including roofing repairs and all aspects of construction. In 2006, the decedent Sanchez made roof repairs to the eaves of a residence owned by Alejandro Perez. Prior to the incident, Perez knew that there were some areas of dry rot under the eaves. The decedent used his own tools and ladder to make the repairs with the exception of one saw, which was provided by Defendant Perez. Defendant Perez's only assistance in the repairs was handing material up the ladder. The sole cost of the roof repairs was about $190, which was the cost of supplies purchased by Perez. Perez did not direct the details of the decedent's work. During the repairs, Mr. Sanchez fell from the roof and died from his injuries. His survivor sued Perez, alleging that he was negligent. The trial court granted the defendant's motion for summary judgment, and the plaintiffs appealed. The Court of Appeal affirmed the dismissal of the case in the unpublished decision of Dolores Rivera Sanchez versus Alejandro Perez. Plaintiffs tried to apply Labor Code Section 2750.5 to establish that the decedent was defendant's employee because the work the decedent was doing required a contractor's license, which he did not have. However, Business and Professions Code Section 7048 specifically states that the contractor's state license law does not apply to any work if the aggregate contract price is less than $500. The only evidence of the cost of the project in this case was about $190 that defendants spent on materials. Because the project costs less than $500, no contractor's license was required. The court ruled that because no contractor's license was required, the Labor Code Section 2750.5 presumption that the decedent was defendant's employee does not apply. Plaintiffs also attempted to invoke Labor Code Section 3357, which states that any person rendering service for another is presumed to be an employee. However, this workers' compensation statute does not apply if the essential contract of hire, express or implied, is not present. Here, there was no consideration for services rendered, and defendant did not exercise control over the decedent. Therefore, the court ruled that the decedent was not an employee under Labor Code Section 3357. In another case, the Court of Appeal expanded an employee's privacy rights. Here's what happened in the published opinion of Ignat versus Yum Brands Incorporated. Yum Brands is a corporate parent of several fast food franchises such as Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, and KFC. Melissa Ignat worked for Yum in the Yum Real Estate Department in Irvine. Ignat suffered from bipolar disorder. Side effects of medication occasionally forced her to miss work. After returning from, ab from one absence, her supervisor, Mary Shipma, advised everyone in the department that Ignat was bipolar. Her coworkers subsequently avoided and shunned Ignat, and one of them asked Shipma if Ignat was likely to go postal at work. Ignat filed suit against Young Brands and Shipma, alleging one cause of action for invasion of privacy by public disclosure of private facts. 
the trial court granted summary judgment in favor of the employer on the grounds that the right of privacy can be violated only by a writing and not by word of mouth. The trial court lamented the irrationality of this rule but felt itself bound by precedent. Ignat appealed and the Court of Appeal reversed the dismissal in the published opinion. In reviewing the case law, the Court of Appeal noted that the rule requiring a written publication as an element of a public disclosure of private facts privacy claim in California originated in dictum in the 1931 case of Melvin v. Reed. While this restriction may have made sense in the 1890s, when no one dreamed of talk radio or confessional television, the Court of Appeal said that it certainly makes no sense now. Private facts can be just as widely disclosed, if not more so, through oral media as though written as through written ones. To allow a plaintiff redress for one kind of disclosure but not the other, when both can be equally damaging to privacy, is a rule better suited to an era when the town crier was a principal purveyor of news. The court concluded that it is long past time to discard this outmoded rule. A WCAB panel sustained the dismissal liens for late payment of lien activation fees. SB 863 requires lien claimants to pay an activation fee prior to attending a lien conference and a filing fee for filing new liens. The panel decision in the case of Jose Pedro Soto versus Marathon Industries Incorporated held that the lien claims are properly dismissed when the activation fee is paid a few hours late. In that case, the defendant filed a declaration of readiness to proceed requesting a lien conference after resolving the case with the applicant. A lien conference was scheduled for January 10, 2013 at 8.30 a.m. The lien claimants in that case did not pay the activation fee until about 11 a.m. on that day, about two and a half hours late. Pursuant to Rule 10208A, the late payment was not as it was not timely payments as required by the new rule. In order to have been timely, the payments would have to have been made prior to 8:30 a.m. on the date of the lien conference. Therefore, the liens were properly dismissed at the lien conference on January 10, 2013. And in another WCAB panel decision, the board rescinded an order of workers' compensation judge to pay for medical marijuana. In the case of Christopher Cockrell versus Farmers Insurance, an FNA ordered reimbursement for self-procured, medically recommended marijuana. On reconsideration of that award, the WCAB noted that neither the parties for the WCGA considered the application of a health and safety code section which states that the California Medical Marijuana Program does not require governmental, private, or any other health insurance provider or health care service plan to be liable for any claim for reimbursement for the medical use of marijuana. For that reason, the WCAB granted reconsideration, rescinded the findings and award, and returned the matter to the trial level for further proceedings to consider application of this health and safety code section. And now our crime report. A Santa Rosa orthopedic surgeon and QME accused of meeting an underage girl for sex surrendered his medical license pending the outcome of the criminal case. And the DWC has also suspended his QME certificate. 53-year-old Raymond Severt, MD, is charged with four felony sex charges Marin County at Marin County Superior Court. 
He delayed entering a plea until his next hearing on April 10th. At the time of his arrest, Severt worked for Santa Rosa Orthopedics. He is now on leave, not surprisingly. The investigation began when police received information that a man was sending sexually explicit messages to the girl and had arranged to meet her in Novato. Police said he initially met the girl through an online chat room. Investigators intercepted Severt in the area of South Novato Boulevard and Gateway Court. Severt's lawyer said that the girl initially told Severt she was 21 years old. However, police alleged she later told Severt that she was under 18, but Severt agreed to meet her anyway. Severt never actually had the chance to meet her because the police, because the police arrested him first. Severt is charged with attempted lewd acts with a child under 14, communicating with the minor for the purpose of lewd behavior, arranging a meeting with a minor for purposes of lewd behavior, and distribution of lewd material to a minor. Severt could face up to four years in prison. A Corona man and his daughter have been charged with taking more than $1.7 million in a workers' compensation payroll fraud scheme. 47-year-old Antonio Torres Arias and his 22-year-old daughter Nayeliana Torres each pleaded not guilty. Their next court date is April 4th. Investigators said the defendants operated several companies that leased employees to the Cardenas Market supermarket chain. There is no information that Cardenas Markets was involved in any of the alleged wrongdoing. Arias and Torres are each charged with five felonies, four counts of misrepresentation to obtain workers' compensation insurance, and one count of tax evasion. If convicted, each could face up to 16 years in prison. Arias and Torres conducted the alleged fraud to reduce the amount of premiums owed to workers' compensation insurance. They used cash pay employees, misclassified employee jobs, and concealed the history of employees' workplace injuries. Two of the defendants' companies included Torres Services and Torres Cleaning. Victims of the fraud include First Comp Insurance, Chartis Insurance, National Fire Insurance, and the State Employment Development Department. And in regulatory news, Cal OSHA opened an investigation into the death of a worker caused by the collapse of a construction site trench. One of the two people who were trapped in the 15-foot trench in Pacific Palisades died. And the second worker survived after an hour-long rescue effort. The victims were working for a subcontractor on a stormwater treatment project at 200 Temescal Canyon Road. The Los Angeles County Coroner's Office identified the decedent as 50-year-old Gilbert Vargas. Emergency workers recovered his body after about nine hours of digging. Vargas and the unidentified survivor had been excavating with backhoes on the city stormwater project. Kalosha has ordered work stopped at the site until any hazards and all hazards have been fully resolved. The WCRB reports a significant increase in lien filings after the state adopted SB863 in September. The bill included several workers' comp reform provisions, including a lien filing fee of $150 and a three-year statute of limitations for new lien filings, both of which took effect January 1st. Another statute of limitations of 1.5 years for new lien filings will go into effect July 1st. During the fourth quarter of 2012, there were over 500,000 lien filings from copy services, interpreters, 
medical providers, and others. That's compared with nearly 330,000 liens filed in the third quarter of 2012 and 460,000 liens filed in all of 2011. The WCARB expects that 640,000 liens will be filed in 2013. It's a lot. The lien filing fee is expected to reduce the projected number of workers comp liens by 30% and reduce California's comp system costs by $480 million. The DWC and the WCAB have revised their policy and procedural manual and posted it on the WCAB website. The PPM is an internal employee guide prepared under the authority of the administrative director of the DWC and the chair of the WCAB. The manual is designed to promote uniformity and provide direction to judges and other employees in the day-to-day operation of DWC's district offices and the appeals board. It is also a resource for attorneys, claims administrators, and other parties wanting information on the rules of court. Because of it, because an internal document, the PPM is not subject to regulations which require formal rulemaking procedures and public hearings. The PPM became operative in 2003 with some revisions made in the following years. The 2012 to 2013 revisions are effective on March 8th. Well, that's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcast and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or iPod by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, 